Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Thank you. How are you? Good. Yeah, man. Really good morning. Okay. Uh, here he comes. I'm letting him in. John, right? Is this from Texas? Yes, sir. Wait. Sorry, I'm scattered. I just jumped out of the shower. Hello. Me too. All good. Hello, everyone. John, your, uh, your microphone is off. Okay. Uh, can you hear me? Yes, we got gotcha. you. Cool. How you doing? Pretty good. Cool. I'm Ryan. Nice to see you. Nice to see you, Ryan. That other guy, I don't know which side he shows up for you. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Producer, yeah. Cool. Sorry, guys. I'm just a little scattered. I just, uh, I got a little behind in my day and I, um, I just jumped out of the shower and went, oh crap, we're starting in three minutes. So um, I sent you, uh, I sent you John's uh, info to your the life autistic. Okay, Gmail. thank you, sir. I'm gonna print. Thanks that for sending that along, John. Yeah, I just, um, you know, dealing to cope with anxiety. Last night, I wrote that little narrative just to kind of give myself some direction, so I don't get completely off track. So, <laughs> cool. We feel you. We feel you on that. Amazing. What time is it where you are again, John? Is it two or three hours behind? Uh, I believe, well, it's uh, it's one thirty central time. So, and you guys are probably the Eastern time zone, right? Yeah. So we're two thirty right yeah. now. Um, so John, just so you know, <clears throat> totally get it on any anxiety or anything. We tend to do this show. Like we just try to keep it pretty chill and just like, you know, I, I ramble, I stutter, I, 
lose my train of thought all the time. And we don't edit any of that out. I just, I don't care. I just want it to be real and be um, just like who we really are. I want that. That's kind of what I want the world to see. And I want us to see in each other of uh, uh, just like being kind of free to just be who we are and not have to hide. So I don't know if what I just said helps you at all, but I hope it does. Um, Also don't, if there's anything like tomorrow or the next day, if you look back and you think there's something you, you said that you don't want us to publish, like let us know and we'll edit that out. It's not a big deal. Cool. So cool. I don't don't think it'd be a problem, but yeah. So I don't know. I just like to let people know that, that, you know, it's uh we're sorry. I'm just going to print that thing that you sent us so I can kind of look, look over it while we're talking. Yeah, I apologize. This is kind of a little, it's four pages. But. Hey, man, it's all good. No worries. I apologize. I didn't <laughs> read it already. I just, uh, yeah. you know. You know how we are. I mean, I, I, I don't know about you, but I, I think I communicate better in writing than talking. You know, I'm getting yeah. better at talking. But. Yeah. I feel, yeah, I feel like sometimes that's the case. And other times I, I, I also, I do enjoy talking because there's sometimes... I find in the like just rambling on and going wherever the thoughts take you, I end up sometimes finding like you just end up somewhere and you go, oh, this is a cool place to be. And I don't know if I would have got here if I didn't follow like 27 other thoughts to get to this place. Yeah, it's very Zen. It's like wandering through a library and you're looking for one specific thing and then you stumble on this one book that you didn't even know was there. And you're like, oh, wow. (laughs) It's so true. I used to love doing that. Just like when I was in high school, I would um, often just go in the evenings, go walk through the library and you just walk down the aisles and subjects catch your eye that you don't even know you're interested in. You pull a book out and you check it out. Mm -hmm. Um, So have you, have you heard any episodes of the show before? I I think I'm caught up with all the episodes that are out there. Yeah. Okay, cool, cool. So he's a fan. He's a fan. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Sorry, you, like I should have known that. I just, I just, I'm, I'm out of it still. Um, <laughs> okay, just I got, I got last week. I, I pulled. I was talking to my daughter, who's five, mm. and we were talking about toys. And I mentioned her. I said, "Oh, I've got these two bins of old GI Joe toys in the shed from when I was a kid. I haven't looked in these boxes for twenty years, probably." So she just goes, oh, yeah, I want to see them. So I go dig out the shed, pull them in the house. They're all covered in dust. Wash them off. I'm like washing and drying them. She starts playing with them. She starts, she's loving it, freaking out. But I don't have many female characters. So my daughter says, can you get some girl ones? So for the last week, I've just been online trying to find female characters. And then it's reignited this childhood G.I. Joe obsession that I had. And now I'm like, shit, I don't need this in my life right now. Now I'm obsessed with G.I. Joe. I tracked down the G.I. Joe movie. I tracked down the G.I. Joe movie from 1987 and I watched it this morning. And that's what fucked up my day. Big announcement. This is our last show. Ryan's going G.I. Joe after this. Because I should have been like reading this and like preparing for this. No stress, man. No stress. Instead, I was just drinking like coffee and obsessively watching G.I. Joe and looking on eBay, trying to find female characters to get for my daughter. 
and it's mm-hmm. like and then i was the whole time kicking myself going what are you doing man like yeah. <laughs> I think it's so fucking cool that you have a kid and you manage, you know, your life and you, you entertain your daughter. So I don't have, I only have a dog. So you're, you're impressing me. So no, thanks. We'll see. We'll see. It. Um, <laughs> I'm just walking guys to get my coffee, but uh, um, the show must go on. The show yeah. must go on. So, so John, we want to welcome you. Thank you for being a part of this. Um, and uh, I don't know. You want to tell us a bit about you? <laughs> Yeah, well, thank you, Ryan, for uh, host for um, having me come on. Um, I am a adult cishet, uh, white American male Aspie. Um, it's been ten years since my diagnosis. Uh, well, my ten year anniversary was last July in two thousand twenty, so I was diagnosed in the in the summer of two thousand ten. Wow. And um, I can say that you know, getting diagnosis. And, and meeting other Aspies uh, in my local area uh, definitely made a lot of events in my past make a lot more sense. You know, it's like, it's like turning on a lamp and shining a light that illuminates the shadows of, you know, yeah. what was in the past and only dimly understood, you know. So um, it's been quite a journey and um, I'm still learning yeah. for sure. Um, professionally, I am a librarian. Uh, I work for my local county library system as an interlibrary loan clerk. Uh, that basically means uh, any books that we don't have in the system, uh, I try to get them from other libraries that our patrons want and vice versa. I, I cover for my colleague who loans our, our material when they don't have a book, but we can supply it. We'll send it out by yeah. courier or postal service. And um, it's pretty gratifying work. Um, I got my library science degree back in 2004 and uh i have a previous master's in german studies from rice university and my bachelor's is in history and german from texas a&m university way back in 1994 (laughs) wow that's awesome and i lived in germany germany for a year as an exchange student um i still think i speak near with near native fluency in german yeah um my Russian used to be better, but it's kind of high beginner status now. And my Spanish at its height was kind of solid intermediate level. It's again, got a little rusty, but I try to listen wow. to the Spanish radio and TV stations around here to kind of brush up some. Yeah. So I love foreign languages as one of my passions. Wow. That's really cool. Do you find like, did you have a, do you have a natural aptitude for languages or? or... I, I seem to, and it, I think it, uh, I have a good ear for things uh, for music and whatnot. I can kind of pick out things. And uh, so I think that really helps a lot. And um, I'm pretty good with my pronunciation too. I try to try to get it as accurate as I can. Um, and um, my German at one point got to a point where native Germans couldn't immediately tell that I was an American. Uh, some of them even thought I was German, which was pretty cool. That is cool. That's really cool. Yeah. Right on. Um, so you said you were diagnosed 10 years ago. Um, yeah. Um, at, at, at what age was that again? I was, let's see. Well, I'm, uh, my 50th birthday will be on Monday. So oh, good for you. Cool. Uh, almost 40, 30, age 39. Yeah. Nice. Age 39. Mm-hmm. So I'm always curious with other people. Cause I was just, I was just diagnosed last fall at age 44 um, 
I always say after a whole life of wondering what the fuck was wrong with me. Um, yeah. Excuse my language, but the, you know. Uh, so, what when you look back? Well, first of all, I guess I'll ask you like what prompted that process of diagnosis for you, and then after that, we'll kind of. I'm always curious about like what once you got that diagnosis, looking back on your childhood, what looks different? Right. Well, um, basically, uh, what prompted my seeking diagnosis, I, uh, as I said, I'm a librarian. I got my library degree back in 2004, and I've, I've held uh, positions as professional librarian at a couple of universities, and now I work for a public library system. But um, with the first university I worked for, um, I was hired for a six-month probationary period, and my contract was not renewed, and I kind of was mystified as to why I was let go. And um, I mean, there were reasons my boss gave them, but it was just, it just seemed really grossly unfair. And, uh, but you know, it happened. And so I fell back on my previous job, which was with AIG International Services, which is a assistance company uh, that provides customer support 24 hours for travel insurance policy holders. And um, I really liked that job. I'll talk more about that one later, but um, and then I, so I worked for them in the interim and then I managed to get hired by Texas women's university in Denton, Texas, uh, I was hired in 2008 and I worked all the way through all of 2008, 2009, and then was finally let go around Christmas, 2009. Oh, wow. Um, my first year evaluation was good. Uh, everything seemed to be on the up and up and, and, and going smoothly. And I liked my job and lived near the campus. I could walk to work every day. It was great. Nice. But um, that second year, uh, things just fell apart, and I don't, I, you know, I couldn't really understand why, and I just got on my boss's bad side, and things soured, and and I was let go again, or I was asked, I, I asked, you know, do you want me to resign? And she said yes, and said, okay, well, I'm out. Wow. Uh, and um, you know, she engaged in a lot of bullying and pressure, and, and made my life basically hell. That I was ready to go by that point anyway, but yeah. So I came back here, back to, back to Sugarland, Texas, and was unemployed for six months. And so I was kind of like listless and focusing on weight loss because it was one goal I could put, you know, one foot in front of the other. And just, uh, yeah. um, and my mom was actually the one that had been reading up on Asperger's and said, well, why don't you, know, you, know, you go down to the University of Texas Behavioral Sciences Center and get evaluated, you know, get evaluated for this thing. You know, maybe you have it because mm-hmm. I, I first read through it. And I was like, well, I don't know. But then I was like, well, I've lost two jobs in a row for reasons I don't fully understand. I'm willing to try anything at this point to, you know, gain some knowledge and, and insight right. maybe. And I'm so glad that I did. You know, I, I went in and met with Dr. Loveland and took the evaluation exam and everything. And, um, and uh, like, Almost right after I got my results back, I uh, got hired by the local library system here in Fort yeah. Bend County. And, um, you know, so I started working there and I went from one bullying boss to another bullying boss, uh-huh. <laughs> unfortunately. Uh, and so those first couple of years at Fort Bend were really hell. And, uh, yeah. but I, and in fact, that first year I was probably within about a week of getting fired. I could tell just from the ultimatums that my boss was laying down and the way she was uh, just kind of having a sword over my head, basically. And I finally 
I hadn't, I hadn't dis- disclosed when I was hired and I didn't want to disclose. Yeah. But I kind of felt backed into a, a corner. And so I finally produced my diagnosis letter in my last, you know, what would have been my last week. And that made her back off and County HR stepped in and kind of put a leash on her and made her pull back and say, okay, okay, we got to give this guy some accommodations. And, you know, wow. so, um, and I got the local uh, arc of Fort Bend. Um, it's, that's a local community organization that, uh, ARC used to stand for uh, Association of Retarded Citizens, but they also do advocacy for, for neurodiverse individuals as well. Okay. So I had an advocate on my side in negotiating with the library system and library and county HR. Yeah. And I had to agree to take a demotion to the next rank down. So yeah. it was a slight pay cut too. But I, in exchange and for a modification of my job duties, uh, I was allowed to stay on full time with benefits. Yeah. So. Uh, it was a little humiliating, but it was worth it to save my job, you know? Yeah. And my boss, you know, after that can treat, treated with even more, treated with me with even more contempt. Really? She treated me as if I was like intellectually slow when I was probably smarter than she was, but mm-hmm. I just kind of, you know, grit, you know, gritted my teeth and bore it, you know, and, uh, um, I eventually just outlasted her. Um, she eventually, got hoisted on her own petard from her own hubris. She got too big for her britches, crossed swords with the library director and got bounced. So okay. and we were all <laughs> much relieved after that day. Yeah. We got a new boss who's a lot more benevolent and understanding and yeah. still my boss today. So I'm, you know, life's been a lot better since that time. That's good. And you're, you're open with that, that new boss. Like it's open with your oh, autism. Yeah. 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 She knows, she knows about it and we're cool with it. And yeah. Uh, and yeah. she's she's been um like accommodating with that or yeah well and she was also a victim of the previous boss she was the assistant cataloger under this terrible boss and okay the the terrible boss was trying to run her off too so wow okay. <laughs> she had firsthand experience of what that was like so we all yeah. kind of yeah yeah part of me is just like part of me is just fantasizing about working in a library it sounds so awesome but i know every <laughs> i know every job has its its politics and its personalities and its ins and outs but just like yeah. i'm just like oh my god if i could just spend my entire working days like sorting books i'd be so happy but <laughs> not that easy no it's, <laughs> no it's funny right when, when i look back ryan it's like i'm going in here i am a 30 something autistic male going into a profession that's dominated by mostly NT females, what could possibly go wrong? It's yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, um, it, it's been a hard road to hoe, you know, in librarianship uh, because there has been a lot of misunderstandings and, and having to uh, negotiate things. Um, yeah. I can remember a specific anecdote from uh, Texas women's university, like, Every month, every month we would have a staff meeting. We'd all gather together in a circle and kind of keep, give the boss an update on what we were doing and everything. And that was in the written rules. And so I followed those things to the T. Uh-huh. But what I didn't pick up on was there was also these informal things like uh, that I only saw after the fact that, oh, yeah, everyone kind of goes by uh, Chris's office once a week to just chat and stuff. Uh-huh. And I didn't. And so... Hmm since it wasn't written down as a formal procedure, I didn't pick up on it that that was an expected thing. And so I didn't, uh-huh. and I apparently really pissed her off. And yeah, it's like, I, I can't know that I'm doing wrong if you don't say anything. So, um, yeah. And uh, at my first library job down in uh, Galveston, I, you know, 
I was fresh out of library school and, and thrown in as the head, you know, head technical services librarian. And, you know, in, in library school, you learn kind of the general principles and, and uh, the high-minded ideals of librarianship, but they don't teach you concrete things like, like this is how this integrated library system from this specific vendor works and blah, blah, blah. And you have to kind of learn that on the job. And I even begged my boss to give me, you know, to, to give, there was training being offered by the vendor in our specific cataloging system. And it's like, I, I really need this, you know, boss, can I, can I sign up for this? She's like, no, nah, you don't need that. You're fine. You, you can you know, pick it up from your assistant cataloger and whatnot. And I was yeah. so dependent on my assistant cataloger to kind of do the finishing steps that um, it looked like I wasn't cataloging anything because her stamp was on the final product. And it's like, oh. no, I did the work, but there was no way I could prove it, you know? And, and because I was lacking in knowledge, on how to do certain steps with the system, you know, I was like hobbled from the beginning. And then yeah. she sent me off to the vendor training in Chicago, which was great. And I finally had a breakthrough and was like, okay, now I understand what I need to do with this and this. And I came back ready to work and I was let go the very next day when I got oh back my from God. the trip. <laughs> what? <laughs> like, Are you kidding me? Sucks. Nope. <laughs> after after a research after a research trip. Yeah. Doesn't make doesn't make sense. No. It makes no sense at all. No sense at all. Except for it was just the timing of it. If if they kept me on, they would have had to start paying me benefits and have to take me on full time. It'd be a lot harder to fire me. Oh, yeah. So she'd already made up her mind. The trip had been paid for, but she already made up her mind that I was going to go. And so I went to Chicago for nothing. Although it, it was fun. I got to see Spam a lot. And, and oh, nice. Played, played hooky one afternoon and went to the Chicago Institute of Art. and wandered Yes. Around. I was going to ask you, did you go to the Institute of Art? It's yeah. fantastic. And the bean there and everything. Yeah, that was cool. Did you see that they have a few Monets there, I believe? Yeah, yeah. It was great. Cool. John, can I just ask you something strange that just keeps reoccurring in my mind? Sure, go ahead. Like you seem like so intelligent. Like I just wonder what like what would it, what would your dream job be? <sighs> well, um probably an academic librarian at a university setting. Um, I would have said cataloging at one point, but I've been out of the cataloging game so long now, I don't think I can do it. But uh, doing interlibrary loan, but as a pro- professional librarian, you know, in a nice research university in a cool college town kind of thing mm-hmm. would be kind of what I would I still think I would really like to do eventually. Yeah. Um, and, but I can tell you this, uh, one job that actually was uh, kind of my dream job for a while was that job with AIG International Services. And I'll tell you why. It, it was a 24-hour call center with a multi-ethnic uh, staff, multilingual staff. Um, they hired me because I could speak German and translate German documents. And uh, they also sometimes would have me do the best I could can with Dutch documents and, and other Germanic languages and just to give me an idea of the gist of what's being what was being written and stuff. And uh, yeah. they encouraged me to keep up my other language studies. So with Spanish, I didn't, you know, like if I had to call a hotel, I could at least say, yes, I need so-and-so in room such and such without having to get one of our Spanish speakers to do it for me, you know, and yeah. things like that. And so, and then even, I even got to use my Russian on the job once, you know, I speak, it ter- I spoke it terribly, but the guy under- at least understood what I wanted. So, yeah. you know, I made it work and that I loved that job. I really did. And I, I never would have left it, but I, I, my mother uh, would keep bragging on me year after year, John, that dub, job doesn't pay you enough. You're, you can do better than that job. You, mm-hmm. Why don't you do something that you know pays you what you're worth? 
and it's like yeah but mom i love it and but mm-hmm. it wouldn't let up with it and she's a librarian she's a school librarian and i've always been kind of academically oriented you know before i worked went to work for ag i had the ambition of becoming a german professor and wow. being kind of an academic and but i got so burned out doing my master's thesis i was like well maybe i don't want to do that i don't know but uh but i've always loved the life in and around a college town and 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 just all the really deep intellectual discussions you can find in a mm. college town and i really miss that a lot and um so um but the job with aig it was like i got to use my language skills it was mm-hmm. challenging it was stressful but it was fun and i was making a difference i was actually saving people's lives by getting them an air ambulance or getting them a medical escort or whatever and it was very gratifying mm-hmm. work um and you know but for my mother hounding me i would have probably i'd probably still be working there uh, unless mm. you know of course now yeah you went through a bankruptcy in 2008 or you know 2009 yeah and so maybe i couldn't have gone back you know and in fact i tried to go back and they, and they had a hiring freeze as part of their condition of being bailed out by the u.s government that's why i'm not back there now wow and then uh just you know landed the current job i have and so i, I haven't tried to go back since so and they they're also changing their organizational structure and they're kind of downsizing the Houston office and uh, moving assets to Stevens Point, Wisconsin, which was a different company that they bought out. And they did offer me to, they said, well, we'll hire you in Stevens Point, but you have to pay the moving costs. I'm like, well, that's kind of a lot. And also I don't have any friends or family in in that part of the Midwest. So I'd be out there all by myself. And my pillar, I'm I'm an only child. My parents are elderly. And so I was like, I just don't think I could do that. You know? Yeah. That makes sense. Wow. But your um, folks, have, your folks are in Texas, John. Yeah, yeah. We, I, I live in in uh, with my elderly mother here. My my yeah. father passed away uh, back in 2019, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But he was sorry. But yeah, we all lived together uh, once I started working for Fort Bend County yeah. Library System. So yeah, yeah, cool. Um, I want to get ask you about your childhood. I mean, going back. Um, I know for me when I started exploring. Um, you know, being autistic when I figured it out and actually said, yeah, okay, this is what it's go- it is. And then went through the process of the assessment diagnosis, et cetera. I know looking back on my life now, it's just like, I think for about six months, I just was like going back through all these different memories. And it's like just seeing it all with a different lens and just going, Oh, that's what was going on there. That's why I was doing that. That's what that. So I'm curious about you, like if you have any specific memories or things from your childhood that, that um, were kind of signs or, or also looking back, if there are things that you'd notice now that maybe didn't seem that different at the time. Yeah, I I can tell if, one specific, you know, anecdote, like I, I know that when I was a child in the late seventies and stuff, I used to love to listen to, you know, country and, and, and rock tunes on 45 singles and stuff. And I would play them over and over and over again. It would drive my parents crazy, yeah. but I was entertained by it. And, and then, I'm, but looking back after the diagnosis, I'm like, Oh man, that's kind of a red flag. Is it, you know? <laughs> and then um, <laughs> I know that I tended to play by myself at, kindergarten and then after school daycare and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, unless a kid had a specific, like, I remember 
I would never, I interacted with one kid because he had a Battlestar Galactica toy, whatever. I walked over, I was like, hey, man, that's cool. I love that show, and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, it, it, unless there was a prompt like that, I tended to just play by myself and you know, lost in my own head a lot of the time. Yeah. And then as far as like school friends and stuff, I tended to have a tight circle of very deep friends rather than a wide circle of just casual friends and stuff. I didn't mm. really do the whole casual friend thing, you know? Yeah. So I liked having really meaningful conversation, hours long conversations with friends, you know, either on the phone or just standing out outside their head, you know, like we'd go through the formal ritual of saying goodbye and then we'd kind of be just talking out on the street. I'm leaning up against my car and we're just talking for hours and stuff. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. Like that. That's awesome. What about like in, uh, up into like high school years, anything there that kind of looks different now? I, you know, in high school, uh, my big thing back then was uh, German club. And also I was a cadet in the NJROTC program, which is uh, set up by the department of the U S Navy. And uh, it's more of a cadet program. Uh, It's building citizenship and teaching you about the armed forces and the Navy. And you wear a uniform once a week and you, they have after school activities like you can shoot air pistols and and or march in the color guard or uh, do drill team and so I did uh, a lot of those things. Uh, I yeah. ultimately became drill team commander my senior year. That was a lot of fun. Okay, but I, I it's funny because after diagnosis, I realized just what an ASPE friendly environment our uh, naval science instructor had created for us mm. in ways that I didn't I didn't I guess I didn't fully I couldn't have verbalized at the time, but like. When you come to the when you came to our school in the morning, students were expected to go to the commons area, you know, where the where they have lunch, and it got loud and crazy, and I hated it. Yeah. But the uh, ROTC room, the captain would open the door, and it was up on the second floor. And as long as we were quiet and studied quietly in in the room in the classroom, he was fine with us being there and wow. stuff. So I would go go up there, kind of as a retreat from all of the chaos downstairs. Yeah. And. Uh, I also, you know, just kind of looking back with my mind's eye, I, I think there were a lot of undiagnosed ASD kids in RTC mm. together. Uh, people with, you know, like guys that had really focused interest on uh, survival gear or, or, or yeah. Army Navy surplus stuff, or you know, knew all of the insignia from such and such Army or you know that yeah. sort of thing. And you know, it's like looking back and see, yeah, that, I'm sure I had fellow Aspies in the in the unit back then. Yeah. So. There's a guy, there's a, a guy in the support group that I go to who's um, like, he's a senior citizen and he, he had a whole lifelong career in the military and only discovered he was autistic after he retired. And mm-hmm. one of the things I was told about that is that he, he did really well in the structured <laughs> environment of the military because everything's clear. You know what the rules are. There's a chain of command everything's kind of black and white. Yes. No. And he did well. And then when he came out and retired and was kind of faced with, um, you know, the, a world, world, a a blurry world, I guess you could say he, he struggled. And then, you know, I don't know exactly how old he was, but I think he was in his, maybe in his sixties when he, he was diagnosed. Um, and I, it, it, I don't know. I find that interesting. It, it actually, I was considering even a couple of years ago, I was like seriously considering, even though I was like 40, I was thinking of joining the military, even though it's really late. Cause I thought, God, I've, I've, I've had like 30 different jobs my whole life. And I just, everything, all, ah, it's always, blah. and I thought maybe that would be the one place where I'd actually um, feel 
kind of okay because maybe it would the structure would be really good for me so i don't know yeah so my I, uh, my first career ambition was actually to, to become a navy officer yeah but a little history um like back then um my eyesight i i've had i had lasik done in 2004 but we're talking in the late 80s here and my my glasses were as thick as coke bottles okay <laughs> and um so i went to texas a&m which has its world famous corps of cadets and uh, I enrolled and um, actually uh, did well enough my fresh my, my first semester my freshman year to win a Navy scholarship. Oh wow! But it was dependent on uh, passing the physical in the yeah. spring, so I did that and went to da- to Naval Air Station Dallas and and got checked out and everything. And the problem was that my eyesight was beyond the limits for which they would grant a waiver. Okay. So I had my Navy scholarship stripped from me. Oh. And uh, so I couldn't get commissioned through the RTC and losing that reason for being there. I dropped out of the program altogether because I didn't see the point in staying on. Yeah. So I went to enjoy civilian life as a student, as a regular student, and then yeah. got involved with the Texas A&M German Club and, and uh, eventually got to go overseas to Germany to be an exchange student for a year, which I wouldn't have been able to do if I was still a cadet. So, oh, that's cool. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, trite but you know life closes one door opens up another one so yeah that's true these where they come yeah it's funny though i just yeah i like just think about that kind of structure even like like i bartend now and i i i it's sort of a chaotic situation but i just like create these little this little (laughs) pocket of order behind the bar where like everything goes in the exact same spot and I yeah. make every I make every drink the exact same way every time. So it's like even when it's busy and crazy and I gotta pump out a thousand cocktails, it's like there's mm-hmm. some kind of, there's like a calm within that chaos because I just know I'm just kind of repeating the same thing over and over again and it's the same kind of um the same uh yeah, like just executing the same the same movements constantly. It's it's kind of I don't know. I'm like uh, that in my kitchen. What's that? I'm like that in our kitchen. Okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> things have to be like, my wife can operate with things going in different places after they come out of the dishwasher, but she's very nicely like, listen yeah. and, and, and said, okay, I'll put this back in this drawer because it just throws me off so much. Yeah. Oh yeah. One more I, thing I can say. I'm oh, sorry. Uh, no, no, go ahead. One more thing I can tell you about my childhood. I, I am adopted and, yeah. uh, looking through my adoption paperwork, I've gotten everything that's legally obtainable uh, through the state of Georgia where I was born. And um, like they have non-identifying information about your biological parents. And so there's kind of like a a narrative summary of their, of their bios basically. And I think that my biological father was probably the one that was on the spectrum. Uh, You know, granted this is, it's, it's, you're reading between the lines and looking back at 1970s, but they, they described him as a, intelligent but nervous man yeah and uh he was the son of a doctor and you know and really into sports uh, you know to an obsessive degree i think and so mm-hmm. uh, and my biological mother was he was a, a about to graduate senior from his uh, undergraduate college and then my mother my biological mother was a so- college sophomore and they had a hookup in the summer of 1970 and then i came along and uh, he professed that he loved her and wanted to marry her, but she didn't, she wouldn't feel that way about him. And, and so they didn't, um, but that was interesting. And then um, like you were talking about with that older gentleman, I, I, you know, I have my adopted family. I love my uh, mom and dad, 
I think that my dad, my adopted dad, actually was probably on the spectrum too. You uh-huh. know, looking back, because uh-huh. he always he always had trouble making adult friends. He really didn't have that many adult friends. Yeah, um, and um, he was a teacher, a science teacher, and um, kind of um, kind of a lonely guy, and just kind of kept to himself a lot, and uh, um, a little bit quirky, a little weird, but um, you know, and I think that uh, we sometimes had a rocky relationship uh, in a way because we were almost too similar. Like yeah. there were things that he didn't like about himself, but he would see them reflected in me and direct that anger at me sometimes, or, you know, so there was just tension there sometimes, uh, you know, nothing violent or bad, but just um, unease at times. And, uh, but I, the, and my mom even had suggested, well, do you think your dad is on the spectrum? And at the time, this was like right after my diagnosis. I wasn't ready to accept that yet, but with 10 years of life on the spectrum and awareness, I'm and looking back more at my dad's life. Yeah. I'm prepared to say, yeah, I think he probably was actually. So, yeah. Hmm. Do you Ryan, think- what about you? Any of your parents, do you think have autism or on the spectrum? I don't know. My, my father passed when I was 14 and I didn't, know him that well um there are some things there that i think make me think it's possible um but i really just don't know um my mom no i don't and and then i don't i don't i don't see anything um as far as grandparents or anything ironically enough like um I don't know if I should say this because I don't know if they listen to the show, but anyway, I, I'll say it. I don't think he listens to it. I, ironically enough, my I think my stepdad is <laughs> like I'm I'm ninety I'm ninety eight percent certain that he he uh, <laughs> he's on the spectrum. But <laughs> I I don't I don't know that he would be open to that conversation, so it's not something yeah. I ever would bring up with him. Um, he's a great guy. Yeah. I love him uh he's kind and generous but he's really quirky and and really uh um uh uh what's the word i'm looking for sort of rigid in his thinking and and in his action and in his behavior in his habits so uh yeah so i don't know i hope he's i hope he doesn't listen to this i i i i don't think he does but man sorry i asked you man no no it's okay but yeah no i don't I, I wonder about that because I, you know, it's like, uh, it's, you know, this is a genetic thing. And this is a, a thing that a lot of people, I mean, a lot of adults I've, I've spoken to that have discovered their own autism in adulthood. Uh, oftentimes it comes after discovering it in their children. You know, you hear from that. I think Rose talked about that. You hear from that, like people, their, their kids are going through that diagnosis and assessment process. And then the parents are there in, during that process and they're hearing these questions and hearing this stuff. And they and then they start going, huh, <laughs> that's me, you know? So I, I think a lot of people get there through that, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I wonder, I mean, I, I, if, if I, I wish sometimes that, you know, if, if, if my grandparents were still alive, then maybe I could kind of have those conversations with them and those interactions where I could sort of look and go, Hmm, let me, let me kind of see, you know, like um 
because I think in some ways, like, you know, like they say, like, gay people have gaydar. I think in some ways there's sort of like uh, a similar thing with 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 neurodiversity or or autism. Like, what's that? I call it my autisticator. Your autisticator. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's there's (laughs) sometimes you just you talk to someone and you just go, oh, I know. I yep. see it. There it is. But you don't you don't know if you can say it because you don't know if they if they know or if they want to know. Yeah. Ultimately, they kind of have to discover it for themselves. But yes. yeah, I think we're pretty good at picking it at picking out our own when, when we encounter them in the wild. Yeah. Um, and I think uh, on the, on that topic, uh, I, I'm looking back. I think my ex-wife was probably on the spectrum as well. Yeah. Because we just she was kind of uh, shunned uh, traditional conventions of feminine beauty. Like she would wear camouflage pants and cut her hair just at uh, the shoulder here. And um, she would, she was quirky and strange and and in a good way. Yeah. And uh, just, you know, we clicked and it was just, you know, it didn't last uh, the long term, but um, yeah, we definitely uh, were very much into each other in the, in the beginning and stuff. The problem was that, we were kind of united by what we were against at the time. Like uh, both of us were against the Iraq war and against gotcha. the Bush administration. But yeah. like, um, unfortunately, like she's religious. I'm not. And she yeah. didn't have a problem with that at first, but over the two year courses, the two years of our relationship and after our marriage, especially uh, she just got fed up with being married to a non-believer and got yeah. really emotionally abusive about it. And I just eventually had to walk out of that relationship. Uh-huh. You know, I'm sorry, man. Use anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Had you guys been considering children or did you ever, did you have children or? We had been and she miscarried once, but yeah. um, I just, I felt as, since we were both students, I was a grad student. She was a undergrad, you know, about to graduate. Uh, yeah. She was a senior academic senior. Um, I thought we should really, you know, wait until I had a, a job and stuff before we started having kids. But, yeah. Uh, when she really doubled down on her religious convictions, she eventually uh, abandoned birth control completely and mm. would get pissy with me when I would want to use male protection. Yeah. And so I, I just said, look, I, you know, that was kind of the last straw I had to get out at that point. I'm like, yeah. no, you know, this is irresponsible. We can't do this. Yeah. Oh, fair so, enough. I can, that can be, I know that can be an issue with people when they're, uh, it's really a lot of, um, how do you see this with, with people who are religious, sometimes we'll be okay to date someone who isn't, but then when you get serious and you're into like marriage and wanting to have a family, then it becomes more of an issue. I like, I've had that in my past where I'm not religious either, but I've once or twice dated women who, who were, and, and, you know, in the beginning, it wasn't that big a deal. But as you get more serious, it, it's uh, it yeah. becomes more apparent how important it is to somebody's life. Um, yeah. how, how have you been in general with relationships? How do how how do you find yourself? Uh, I've always been awkward with girls. It's just um, I'm not very good at uh, reading things. And um, it, sometimes, you know. I've gotten better at being able to pick up when I'm being flirted with, but um, because of my low self-esteem, I would often kind of push that thought out of my mind. Like, no, she's just being nice or that's not really, you know, rather than the reverse of thinking, Oh, she loves me or, or, you know, creeper. And saying, which I, you know, I've also, you know, stumbled a few times in that direction. I'm not proud of that, but you know, I've I've learned and, you know, so it's, it's hard to find the right medium for one. And, and 
I don't know. I, I had one good girlfriend since being married and we lasted for about six months, but yeah. I, and she agreed to this beforehand that like, you know, we would see each other, but you know, if I got a library job, I had to go where the work was. And in that case, yeah. it was in North Texas. So I had to leave. So we you know ended our relationship. Yeah. But um, I don't know if, if uh, starting a family and having a wife was more of a priority for me, maybe I would have stayed and, and tried to have kids with that yeah. girlfriend. But uh, I, I was really still dead set on my library career at that point. So yeah. I, I went to North Texas and, you know, gave yeah. it the old college try for two years. So, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. I've always been like completely clueless with women. Like just, I don't, with everything with that, with friendships too. Like I, um, yeah, you know, I've always, I, I read somewhere this saying that like, it was about introverts, but I think it applies to, it applied to me. It said something about introverts don't make friends. They just get adopted by people. And I've yeah. found that in my life. Like, I, I don't know how to make friends. I never have, but I'm lucky that throughout my life, there's been a small handful of people that have sort of adopted me. Like my couple of my best friends right now, I don't even know why they picked me to be friends, but they did. And then all of a sudden we were friends and I was like, this is cool. I don't know how it happened. I didn't do mm-hmm. it at least I don't feel like I did, or if I did, I don't know how it happened, but I I'm so grateful. And it's often been the same with women where I've the ones that I've tried to go after. I've been so awkward and terrible at it where I'm just like, they're just like, dude, get the fuck away from me. Like you're just, you're awkward. You're weird. You're saying dumb shit. You're trying to be funny. It's not funny. You're actually sometimes being offensive because you're like trying to like, flirt or be cool but you're saying stuff that they're actually like dude that's you're an idiot you're you're gross like the fuck away but like other times where i've actually gotten into relationships it's 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 more often than not just kind of started out as sort of a friendship or something where all of a sudden i find myself hanging out with somebody and then all of a sudden i go huh we've been hanging out for a while i i this kind of feels like this person's becoming my girlfriend or something but yeah. again, I would have no idea how it happened. I would just kind of be like, I don't even. That's, that's kind of how, yeah. That's kind of how my ex-wife and I uh, ended up together. We were both working in the same uh, department at the university together, and uh, yeah. became friends. Would just talk, and she was obviously very well-read and smart, and like, uh, she was the one lady that uh, I wooed in more or less the traditional way, and yeah. Uh, eventually ended up in her apartments and watching a movie and I just kind of reached over and held her hand. And she thought that was so quaint and, and kind of old fashioned, but she liked wow. it. And so, and then that one thing led to another and we got you know together and got married. So, but I'm going to write um, that down. I'm going to try to hold somebody. <laughs> <laughs> you wrote that down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm taking notes. This is how you do it. <laughs> Slow and steady. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. That's a beautiful story. Yeah, it really is. So, um, you, I'm, I'm looking at the stuff you, you wrote and, and you mentioned, um, alcohol abuse as a coping yeah. mechanism for social awkwardness and anxiety. And that's something yeah. that, that, um, you know, I completely relate to. I was a heavy drinker for probably about 20 years. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, do you want to, talk about that a little bit or yeah i mean definitely in college that was a thing um and it just helped me 
you know, overcome my reticence to talk and just, uh, you know, loosen the tongue a bit. Uh, there was a saying in Germany, Bier löst die Zunge, or, or beer loosens the tongue. Yeah. And so um, I, I would drink with, uh, I drank underage with the German club. Like I would just sit on the edge of the table and people that were of age would buy a pitcher and they'd just going to, you know, pour some for me yeah. and stuff on the sly. And um, I just enjoyed their company and um, it was wrapped up with just uh, my love of deep intellectual conversations with people in, in undergrad and also later in grad school and stuff. And I, and when I finished my graduate school education, I kind of craved that. I really wanted it, but it, I never could find that kind of combo. So I would just drink, but, and, um, and like I, I taught high school German for a year, uh, just kind of not really knowing what I wanted to do after I, you know, kind of washed out of the graduate program and couldn't go on to get a PhD um, cause that job was stressful. I came home from work every day with a splitting headache and like, I, I would drink on a Friday night just to kind of relax and, you know, probably yeah. have too much and stuff. And, uh, but I never drank during the week when it was time to, you know, grade papers and whatnot. So I tried to be disciplined about it, but, you know, and I, I have a DWI on my record and I'm not, you know, that was not good, but yeah. that was, so that happened back. Uh, that was like for New Year's ninety or close to New Year's nineteen ninety nine or so. Yeah. And I went cold turkey for a number of years. I, I actually did quit and you know, attended some AA and whatnot, and yeah, uh, didn't drink at all. Uh, I, I resumed drinking like in late two thousand ten, yeah. and just moderate. And I and I don't, thankfully, with enough age and maturity, like the feeling of getting drunk and whatever just doesn't appeal to me anymore. It's like, I've kind of outgrown that. I don't, it doesn't, you know, yeah. I can have a, a few beers on, you know, on a, on a Friday night or whatever, but you know, beyond that, I don't really, you know, want to get smashed the way I used to when I was younger. Yeah. So. Yeah. I used to, I used to like for many, many years, I didn't leave my house without having a beer or two first. Like yeah. even if it was going to work, like I worked in a bar, so I didn't start yeah. work till 5 p.m. So I'd be at home, you know, I'd get home from work late. So I'd often not get up till noon, but then you'd get up, you, you know, have a shower, eat some food, whatever. And then I'd like have a beer in the shower before I was going back to work again or something. <laughs> and, and, or, you know, sometimes too. And, and it's, or I'd leave and walk to work and stop on the way at another bar somewhere and sit on the patio and have a pint and then go into work. And I used to be, you know, on, on the, and then the days when I wasn't working, like I wouldn't, um, you know, if I was going out in the evening, even going to, with friends to meet at a bar somewhere, like I'd have two or three beers before I left the house yeah. just to get like, you know, stop the shaking, calm the nerves, feel like, okay, work, work myself up to be like, okay, I got to go out. I'm going to talk to people. I can do it. Um, but if I was to just walk out of the house without drinking first, it, it just, I, I couldn't do it. So it's funny. Like I don't drink at all anymore. And I'm, and, and I, I'm not, I didn't like, I'm not like I'll never drink again. I don't, I just don't have any desire to right now, but yeah, I definitely can relate to you. About, I never want to be drunk again. Like I don't like that feeling. I haven't in years, like, yeah. but, but uh, yeah, it's funny. I like, I, I wonder how many of us, when you have, when you're undiagnosed and you just have all this like anxiety around your interactions with the world uh it's a way to cope with that but it's i mean how many how many autistics are are um 
have DWIs or are in AA or, or have other alcohol related issues in their life, I, I would, I would imagine it's quite a bit because that's kind of an easy thing for so many of us to, to just find. And then, and yeah, then it's, it's, it's a form of self-medication, you know, and it's, yeah. you got nothing else. And it's, it's not the best solution, but it, you know. And if you don't even know, like, if you don't even know why you're doing it, like I didn't at the time, like I'm thinking back to my twenties, I didn't have the language of saying like, I have anxiety. Mm-hmm. I just knew I felt better. I just knew there was that space right between the second and third beer. And that's where I felt amazing. Mm-hmm. I didn't have yeah. words for it. It was just, it just was a discovery. And then it was just like, Oh, I'll just keep repeating this. That makes sense. But mm-hmm. it, I don't even think it was mm-hmm. a, like that much of a conscious thing. It was just, all right, I'm getting ready to go out. I'm having a couple beers first. And it wasn't like, Oh, I need to do this or I can't mm-hmm. do go out. I don't know. It's just, it's interesting thinking about these things going back. Yeah. Um, but I don't miss it. <laughs> yeah. I don't miss how it makes me feel the next day. That's for sure, man. No. Yeah. I tried to have a beer on a, a couple days before Christmas. A bunch of my old like high school buddies, like skateboarding guys I used to skateboard with in high school. Like a bunch of us got on like a group Zoom call just before Christmas to chat. And I was like, I'm going to have a beer. And I like hadn't had a beer in like six months. I grab one out of the fridge, pour it in a glass. I sit down on my computer. I'm like, yeah, I'm talking to my old buddies. I'm going to have a beer. And I had like one sip, two sips. And I was just like, ugh, I don't even want yeah. it. Just, it was weird. I just don't even um, want it anymore. But uh, what do you drink now, Ryan? That can of, is it like bubbly? What is it? Oh, yeah. I just drink like sparkling water now. Yeah, yeah. Same. Yeah. <clears throat> um, Interesting. Yeah. So what about like the... About- no go ahead what i was just gonna say uh, another addendum to the relationship discussion like i i understand I, like like you said now i have the language for this um i have very poor executive functioning skills and so i can just remember it it always was this constant feeling of anxiety like i need to get my shit together before i can have a relationship with this person like here's this person who seems interested in me and blah 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 but i can't allow that for myself right now because I'm too fucked up. I, I have to, you know, get my house in order before I can, you know, proceed on to allowing myself to have this. Yeah. And that was a constant thing in my head. And then with diagnosis, I'm like, Oh, that's just part of being autistic. It's always going to be that way. So, you know, don't let that hold you back. Yeah. So that, that was a interesting revelation to come to. I just wish, yeah. I, wish I had discovered it sooner. For sure. I mean, and that's such a thing that can like add to those other types of feelings about like, I I know for me, like the executive function part of my life, that feeling like, Oh, I got to get my shit together. I got to get organized. I got to get this. And I feel like I spend 50% of my waking hours in this panicked mode of spinning my wheels, (laughs) trying to like get to some magical place called organized and just never getting there. And then, and it's like, and what that has done is constantly reinforce this feeling of failing, yeah. of being a failure. And this is something I'm working with, like my coach right now. On. We had a big talk about it last week of like working through this baked in feeling uh, that I've just like reinforced my whole life of constantly 
every single day feeling like a failure because every single day at the end of the day, I just feel like I'm still not organized. I still haven't figured it out. I still haven't got my shit together. Okay, tomorrow I'm going to do it. Tomorrow's going to be the day. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to be so organized. I'm going to make a list. I'm going to do it all. And then tomorrow I wake up and everything goes chaos and sideways. And then I go, fuck, I still didn't. ah." And it's like, you do that for 20 years straight. Every single day, you are just turning yourself into this uh, feeling of just always beating yourself up. And like, and it's something I'm really working on right now is trying to just accept that stop like stop beating myself up about it and then just accept what it is and then try to figure out how to do the things I want in life with you know without being unrealistic about what I'm capable of on any given day does that make sense yeah yeah for sure you relate to any of that yeah no no for sure and um it's kind of a tangent but I can relate kind of a funny story like um I discovered thanks to YouTube that like, you know, it was certain electric pieces of uh, electronic equipment. If the battery leaks and stuff, you can actually take water and baking soda and clean off the contacts, clean the corrosion off the contacts. Okay. And it'll work, you know, and see, and then you uh, wash it out and then dry it off completely. And then, and you have a functioning piece of equipment again. And uh, my uh, nose hair clipper, (laughs) had that you know leakage and stuff and, and so I, I knew what to do but like yeah it took me two weeks to develop them to have the mental energy to just finally take the dang cap downstairs soak the you know take the baking soda solution and do it yeah and i did it in five minutes but it took me two weeks to mentally work myself up to do it just because yes. i feel that so i feel that john steps, yeah you know? it's crazy to try and explain that to someone but it's 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 what how it happens you know that's such a, that's such a I, um, man, I can, I put my laundry away today (laughs) for the first time in about two months. Yeah. And every day I'm going to put my laundry away every single day. I'm going to today. I'm going to like, today's the day I'm putting my laundry away. The whole day goes by. I don't put my laundry. So I'm just like pulling clean clothes out of the pile on the, on the, (laughs) like a little, a little sun, like side room where there's like an extra couch, which is just a pile of clothes. And I'm like sort pulling t-shirts and socks out of that pile and then doing laundry and putting the fresh new laundry back on that pile. And every time mm. I'm like, okay, I'm going to put it all, I'm going to fold it, put it all the way today. I finally did it, but it was like, I've been psyching myself up for two months to do that. Mm. And it's like, and, and it, man, this is, I love when you say shit like that. Cause I'm like, yes, <laughs> thank you. Because when you talk about this shit, it's like, I always feel like if I try to talk about this stuff with like a neurotypical person, I feel like I'm a crazy person yeah. <laughs> because they just look at me like, just put the, just go clean the corrosion off the thing. It takes five minutes. What's yeah. wrong with you? Why don't you just do it? Yeah. It's so. Mm-hmm. Um, but Ryan, one thing is your show, your show is reinforced for me that like you, we all need like the more especially the more stressed out you are the more anxious you are you need those recovery days where as you say the only fucking thing you do is fold your laundry yeah that's it and if you can just do that that was a successful day so yeah i thank you for that because early in your show you 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 stress this like don't beat yourself up for having rest days so thank you it's really important and i want to thank you for telling me about uh using water and baking soda to clean corrosion because I have my little remote control bus 
that it's it stopped working because the it got corrosion in the battery. So now in about two weeks, I'm gonna take this apart. Uh, I'm gonna starting <laughs> now, starting now, <laughs> starting now, starting now. I'm gonna just I'm gonna just, I'm gonna stare at it every day and go, okay, I'm gonna do that. And then every day I'm gonna go. Maybe today's the day, but it won't be. But yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll email you in two weeks, John, a photo and go. I did it! I did it! <laughs> a time lapse yeah. video on a autistic yeah. task. Yeah, but it's so true. There's so many. There's so many other little things. I think about like like little things around the house that like I'll look at and I'll go, oh, I gotta do that little thing. And it's like, yeah, it's a five minute gig, but I just what is up (laughs) (laughs) don't beat yourself up don't beat yourself up yeah as a librarian of course i can't leave without giving you a book recommendation so please you see this very well it's a book called invisible differences nice wow it's a something i discovered in in my library's collection so i bought a personal copy it's by uh julie bachez originally i think was published in french and it's been translated into english Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a graphic novel about this woman who's autistic and what her life is like. And I haven't read it cover to cover, but I've thumbed through it and it, it yeah. definitely feels true. So, wow. Just cool. Thank you. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to try to find that, find that and order one and add it to my, my growing autism, <laughs> autism bookshelf, which yeah. is like, yeah. Um, so uh, I, We'll, we'll wrap up soon, but I, I, I'm just looking at here. You, you, you had some notes here about talking about empathy and that's, I'm always curious to have that conversation too, because that's like the, the biggest misconception. I think one of the biggest misconceptions, oh, autistic people don't have empathy. And it's like, it's the, I, a few people that I've told that's literally been the first thing out of their mouths. What does that mean? You don't have empathy. And I'm like, Oh God. Mm. I, I think a lot of, NT uh, judgment about our empathetic capabilities, it's a misunderstanding. It's not a lack of empathy. It's a lack of awareness mm-hmm. that empathy is called for in such and such a situation. Yes. It may take a second to kind of click or whatever that, oh, yeah, yeah. you know. Or, and also the way we practice it, uh, in my, in my, I made my notes about it. It's like, uh, you know, if you tell me a, a sad story about a thing that happened to you, my immediate reaction as an ASD person is going to be to cycle back through my memory and try and find something similar that I went through. Just relate that to you to let you know, Hey man, I've been there. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. And let's, let's talk this out. And uh, it was a revelation to me that sometimes that pisses off NT people. They think you're trying to dominate the conversation or make it about you. And it's like, no man, that's not what I'm doing at all. Like ASC to ASD. We understand that about each other. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. It gets to be a problem when it's NT versus ASD that don't understand what the other is doing. So. Amen. That's definitely something that I, I like consciously try to stop myself when people tell me shit sometimes. And it makes me go, Oh, that's like, and like, if it's like you guys or somebody, I would just be able to say that, but I have to go, Oh wait, no, don't say that because that'll be considered offensive because they'll think, it's like and it's like well no for me that's showing you that i'm relating but um it's funny it's like you talk about like cognitive empathy which is like that awareness that demonstration of empathy in the moment to demonstrate it appropriately in the moment so the cognitive empathy is something that we we tend to 
uh, be lacking in. But there are other types of uh, personality traits, let's say, like, you know, uh, <laughs> like people who are higher or further on like, a, you know, narcissist or sociopathic type traits where they can they can just nail cognitive empathy, but they don't have empathy. So mm-hmm. it's interesting that like you can have people that actually don't have empathy, but they excel at appearing as if they have empathy. Yeah. But you they have the social aut- cues. Aut- exactly. But you have autistic people who, who Feel I it. actually believe that most autistic people have like a hyper empathy. Like we, yeah. it's yeah. like a deeper, more powerful, mm-hmm. uh, stronger empathy, but it just doesn't present in the same ways so it, right. it, it so people that's why there's that misconception when people go oh well you guys are just robots and it's like no 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 it, there's something else going on it just comes out very differently a lot of the time you know i think asd people have a profound depth of feeling and deep you know even if it's not, maybe if, if it's not the word we definitely can feel deep sympathy for people and, and yes have this kind of compassion and can care yeah about each other and so yeah yeah i think you're appreciated absolutely and i think we also like i know for for like um there's uh i know for me like there's so many times in life where i have been misunderstood or like i'm trying but like somebody thinks i'm being a jerk or they think i'm being an asshole or something and that's not my intention but i get misunderstood and then people are like oh that guy's a prick he's a dick he's a he's aggressive or he's this and i'm like no no so i think that knowing how often i have been misunderstood i am like very forgiving of other people where like Hmm. people which is actually sometimes turns out bad because someone could really be being a dick to me and i'm just going oh they're probably just having a bad day or they don't mean to come off like that or they don't you know what i mean but then really it's like oh that person actually is an asshole but i'm just like oh they're probably they're probably fine they're probably great but it's just like another one of those things where it sort of flips and and it's like the the perception is different than the reality um that's kind of hard for me is my mom sometimes just accuse me of being rude and it's like it's such a shock to me because it's like that's not even a thought in my head i'm not trying to you know yeah yeah but another thing i hear all the time is like i wish you would watch your tone or you know i don't like your tone i'm like what tone are you talking about i i literally can't hear what you're talking about you know yeah or at least i don't perceive it until it's brought to my attention and then afterwards and then i'm like oh yeah maybe i guess that didn't come out the best. no john honestly i find you like so direct and so like like factual and like logical that it's really easy to listen to you. Well, so, you. yeah. Like, nothing against your mom. I'm sure your mom's a sweet lady. I just, yeah, yeah. It's just frustrating for me because I know she's read a lot of autism books and she tries to understand, but it's like, I think she has trouble applying the factual information in the book to her son. It's like, it, there's yeah. a disconnect there. And it, you know, it's like, well, that's, yeah, that's what some people, you know, but, and another attitude of hers is like, well, now that you know what the problems are, just don't do those things. I'm like, oh, oh god, oh. yeah, uh, you know, as if it <laughs> oh, I could go click, you know, and yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's a whole so nother that, show. That brings us. That brings us. To, <laughs> that brings us to the magic pill question. Mm-hmm. So that's the question we ask everybody every show. If there was a magic pill you could take, where you would take the pill, go to bed, and wake up, and you would not be autistic anymore. Would you take that pill? Um, I would have to say no, because that wouldn't be me anymore. 
Yeah. There, there is no neurotypical version of me. Yeah. So good. I like that answer. Like the, I love, I love that answer. It's so, I, I feel, yeah. Cause then it's like, who are you? You know? Um, it's funny, man. Talking about your mom. I feel like sometimes with my mom too, I just, I can like be talking to her and I'm, my mom's one of those people that never says what she means. Oh man. All my parents frustrates the hell out of me. And I'll just have to stop and be like, mom, you can't do that with me. (laughs) And I'm like, (laughs) I'm like almost getting angry. I'm just like, look, I like this happened last night. She phoned me and she's trying to like speak in code to like hint at stuff. Cause she's like trying to like ask me a question, but like not have you not Mm -hmm. have me know I'm asking her that question. Cause she's trying to do like, figure out some surprise for my birthday or something. And do I have this thing or need this? And I just was getting so like angry. Cause I'm like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And I finally had to stop her on the phone and be like, mom, I don't know what's going on right now, but it's like, I'm going to hang up this phone unless you tell me what the fuck you actually <laughs> mean, because this is so confusing to me and so stressful that I like, yeah. I don't understand it. And then she was like, Oh yeah, I'm sorry. I just, we were thinking about, something we were going to get for you for your birthday but we didn't know if you would want it so i was trying to like hint around and ask if it's and i'm just like don't do that with me like <laughs> i'm like thank you for wanting to get me a present that's really sweet but just don't don't play these hinting games with me because it all it does is like stress me out and make me just get so frustrated where i want to like throw the phone <laughs> <laughs> don't play games one last Right. One lesson I can impart from my uh, naval science instructor, he gave great advice for ASD people that he probably didn't even realize he was doing it, but he said, you should always say what you mean and mean what you say. Yes. Yeah. You don't have problems. Absolutely. Yeah. I find and, and, when you, and when you speak out, just be like, hey, I, I, I messed up or I, I can learn from that. Move forward. Yeah, yep. yeah exactly. It's such a funny thing too, like I was just having a conversation on Facebook a couple of days ago with someone who posted in some autism group I'm in about this, like that, this very fact of like neurotypical people when they, they don't say what they mean. And then it's our fault that we don't understand them. And then we talk and we say what we mean, but then mm-hmm. they think we're speaking in code, but we're not. And then they don't mm-hmm. understand us, but then that's also our fault. So it's like, yeah. it's like <laughs> ASD people are a WYSIWYG interface. You know, what you see is what you get <laughs> and what you hear is what you get. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, man, this I is hear your really- point though. I hear your point, Ryan. It's yeah. just about like that the people with ASD have to make the change or the like have the burdens on them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is like, right. which is the case in any, in any situation where anybody is any, any type of uh, minority then then they're well that's why like that's why our brain type is a disorder right it's classified Uh, it's classified as a disorder because we're a minority but if there was a if it was a uh if we were 80 percent of the population then neurotypical would be neuro disordered yeah (laughs) and we'd be like god what's we we would have like a, a a diagnosis for these people we'd go yeah, here's some of the here's some of the things of their diagnosis. Like they speak in. They code. never say what they mean. They never say what yeah. they mean. They speak in code. They're, uh, you know, all this Infor- other stuff. Infer informalities. 
Yeah. You know, mm. they're really concerned about like hierarchy and status and they, you know, all this <laughs> other stuff that like, we would just be like, ah, none of that makes any sense. I don't get it. But you know, yeah. if, if, if we got to be the in charge, but you know, whatever. <laughs> hey, the more, di- the more diagnosis is that, that come out, you know, that might shift the scales here. So yeah. Well, you know, this, this COVID vaccine too. Right. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> what, what, and on that note, no, no, I'm just, I'm just, before I get some angry letters, I'm just, <laughs> anyway, well, John, is there anything else you wanted to chat about today? I mean, man, this has been really fun. I really love talking to you. It's, it's been so cool. Um, just a uh, funny little anecdote like with the one girlfriend after um, uh, the wife, like um, she went out of town for a week once and asked me to look after, she had three big old dogs that I was kind of scared of, but and then she was uh, fostering some kittens in her garage, but she was mainly focused on the dogs. And she said, okay, so I want, I want you to, you know, come over every other day and check their food and water and make sure that, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, I can do that. No problem. And here's the keys and whatnot. And I said, okay, do, do you want me to check on the kittens too? And she said, no, don't worry about them. They're, they're fine. I've left them enough food. They'll be fine. Yeah. And I was like, are you sure? And like, no, I, it's cool. Whatever. So I was like, okay. And <laughs> went over and took care of the dogs, even though they scared me and, you know, just, you know, uh, looked and they were fine and the week went by and whatever. And I didn't check on the kittens because she told me not to. And then they came back and it turns out she didn't leave enough food for the kittens and they were, we were really, really hungry. And she got mad at me because of, they were hungry. Like you yeah, told me not to worry about them. So I didn't. Yeah. yeah. Apparently what it meant was, <laughs> well, oh, they're not a priority, but maybe, you know, you could look in at the end of the week or something and make sure they're okay. It's like, then yeah. say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you're supposed to know yeah yeah when i say when they say no no don't worry about it you don't have to worry about that yeah it doesn't mean actually don't worry about it it means uh yeah like you said it's not a priority but (laughs) you still have to do it yeah why didn't you why didn't you you know that what's that no means yes yeah (laughs) i can't tell you it frustrates me so many times i'll work with people and we'll have the same strategy to get something done and just sometimes you'll say out loud, like, I was thinking this will be the next step. And oftentimes neurotypical people will start their first word with no, and then proceed to do the exact thing that you were doing. Like that just throws me off. And really? <laughs> it just throws me off to, to start a, something that is an affirmative with no. I just, it, it just throws me off. Yeah, that's... When, sounds really strange (laughs) it frustrates me man it's like it you know one plus one is two we'll do this first and then it's like no and then but it's a yes it just confuses the fuck out of me man they they rephrase it slightly differently but it's essentially the same and you're like okay fine fine (laughs) you win (laughs) yeah as long as we're doing the same thing i came here to do i don't fucking care yeah oh it's so weird John, it's been a blast. Yeah. Yep. Oh, I guess final thing. My other obsession is Japanese anime. I love that art form. And also I'm a big Star Trek nerd. So. Oh, for Those real? Two of my passions outside of uh, my work life. What's so. your favorite uh, Star Trek show? Like which um, of the different series? Probably Deep Space Nine, but original series too. You know. Nice. So, nice. yeah. Yeah, I'm a I'm a I'm a TNG guy. 
also a big Deep Space Nine fan. Um, and yeah, I mean, the original, of course, but uh, I grew up like, I grew up like in my house, we were all watching Deep Space Nine like every week. So, or sorry, uh, TNG. So a few, a couple years ago, me, oh, actually, I guess it's a while back now, five or six years ago when the, the whole, all of them came back out on Netflix. I remember one Christmas holidays, like five, six years ago, I just watched the entire next generation, like entire series over the course of Christmas holidays. At the time I was single and living alone and I had, you know, I basically had a week off work and no one, my family was on the other side of the country. So I was just like, all right. <laughs> I think by the end of the week, it was just my living room was just a pile of pizza boxes. <laughs> and I was like, done the whole series. That's awesome though. I love that. Now, do you relate to data? Somewhat. Um, yeah. I was going to say with uh, Japanese anime, I really like uh, analyzing characters and finding characters I think that are on the spectrum and have Aspie traits and stuff. That's a lot of fun to do. And it's like, oh yeah, I know what that person's all about. And stuff, are there so. are there any like a couple you could name that we could then Google and check out after? I haven't watched kept up to date with much anime, but um, there is a main character named Tenma. Or no, wait, no, oh, I'm going to script the name. Um, she's the main character of Bamboo Blade um and she i think is pretty is i'm pretty certain she's autistic yeah um, guys quote, what year what year will it be when the lead like superhero in like marvel their their trait is autism soon and then the main protagonist of the world only or no i'm um, sorry shoot uh yeah me on the spot, right. man. Um, no man we're here we're here pretty sure it's the world only god knows the main character is and then i think there's a library girl named shiori that is also uh very spectrum-y yeah oh now are these are these like um anime films or graphic novels you're talking about uh they're tv series tv series okay cool cool i'm gonna check those out the main characters yeah i can and thanks for that book reference too man that was huge yeah 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 Yeah, i'm gonna order that today i think it's awesome I think, I, think we'll, I think we'll have a, sorry, go ahead. If I think of any more, I can email you later. Yeah, that'd be super. Absolutely. Cool. Being a librarian. What, what I, were you going to say, right? No, I was just going to say like, Drew, I think to your, to your question about like movies, I think we're, I don't know if I'm just imagining this because my own awareness has been seeing it, but like, I feel like in movies and TV, we're starting to see more autistic characters. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if like within the next five or 10 years, we even have like an autistic superhero in the, in the Marvel universe or something. Like I really wouldn't well, be surprised. I wonder if there are actually, that makes me, I'm going to Google this. I wonder if there are any in the comic books already, any like autistic characters in the, in like Marvel or DC comics. I don't know. It's been a long time since I checked out comic books, but um, yeah. Oh, John, just John, I saw you send us the, uh, the reference there. Yeah, that's I remembered the name after y'all, y'all were talking. Perfect. Very cool. Where we got some homework here. Yeah, man. We got some cool stuff to check out. Yeah. Oh, right on. All right. Well, anything else we gotta talk about, guys, or what do you think? I think we can wrap it, but it's been fun, Ryan. Thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot, John. I really appreciate you coming on. Um, yeah, I've really enjoyed our conversation and We'll uh we'll stay in touch and maybe we'll do this again down the road. Sounds good, Ryan. Yeah. All right. Thanks, brother. Mm-hmm.
Thanks, John. Yo! Yo. What up? That was cool. That yeah, was fun. that was dope. I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna kill this. I'm gonna call you on the phone in a sec. Cool? Yeah. Okay. Peace, Ciao. Thanks, dude. Ciao. You got it. Anytime. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.